There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everybody, you're about to listen to one of two year-end episodes featuring our host Renee Stubbs as well as cultural attaché Andrea Pekovic. The two of them go deep on first the women of 2023 and then the men. We'll be posting them in the next couple of days, but I wanted to call your attention to our newsletter because those of you who are living in New York City have an incredible opportunity to come see us live. We're doing a live podcast and holiday market here in New York City. Check out our newsletter. We'll be announcing it. You can RSVP. There will be prizes. There will be giveaways. There will be guest appearances. And there will be an incredible holiday market where you can grab some racket stuff for the loved ones in your life. Our racket newsletter can be subscribed to at our website. Don't miss it. See you soon. I really hope so. I think it would be a great value for Gucci who needs a win like that in their house. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me today on the pod is the one and only Andrea Pekovic, Petko, Andy. Do you have any other names? Uh, I don't. And Andrea is good for me. Petko is good for me. Andy is good for me. So whatever, what, whichever one you prefer. I am the uh, Caitlin of today's show, although I think I will take the guest host role rather than the host role. I don't know. How is it with you guys? Do you separate or do you just... Just go. You just do co-hosts. We just, there just is not... we banter and we talk and it just ends up being bullshit. Basically. Okay, That's good. pretty much what we do, which, do which is what you and I do on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so now we just put it in front of microphones. I'm a little jittery from the coffees that we've had and I'm very proud of us, Renee, because we are not actually just sitting down and bullshitting. We have made a list, we have made talking points, we have researched and we are ready to go. I know, this might be the first time that I've ever done any of that. Really? Uh, it's <laughs> one of the things that Caitlin and I do is usually write down about five things and then we just bullshit. Um, but, you know, because of your German heritage now, mm -hmm. uh, certainly doesn't come from your parents because they uh, are not German-born. No. But that part of you comes out in being organized, having lists. Yes. There's one thing I know about you, Pecco, and for all of those listeners out there, if you go to dinner with Petco, I'm very much an on-time person. I might come a minute or two earlier. I have a propensity to never be late because I hate 
people that are late. It mm. really pisses me off because I think, what, your, your time's more important than mine? <laughs> um, I always know that you, my friend, will be there on time. Yeah, that's true. So you're organized, you're on time, and now we have less. So we're going to get into it. Petco and I are going to give a bit of a wrap-up of this year, even though there's still a men's tournament going on right now. Can you believe that? It's too long, honestly. Like I respect the men. I respect that they are playing for so long, but that's too long. They need to rest. They need to refuel. They need a proper off-season. If you don't have a proper off-season, you know it just as well, Renee, you get injured. And we see that more and more. You see these early injuries. We will maybe get into a few of these today, but you see these early injuries at the Australian Open in New Wales, Miami, and that didn't used to be the case because normally you have those two months November December where you first wind down and then you slowly prepare your body for that grueling season tennis is maybe the only sport where the season lasts from January 1st way way into this in November it's a long season you have to be ready for that I think it's too long it's crazy I mean I've been saying this for years I mean the one thing the WTA does do right a little bit better than the ATP is finishing earlier in the season it's mm. crazy to me I mean you think about what uh Casper Ruud did. I think that really fucked him up last year mm-hmm. when he kept playing. Remember, we play those exos mm-hmm. with Nadal. Like, fine, he's like your idol, and you want to go, and you probably paid him millions of dollars to go do all of that. But you know, then he didn't play after the Australian Open. It's like he needed a break. I'm like, dude, you got to pick your schedule a little bit better. Which is why I think Novak, for example, has been able to dominate the last few years. I mean, listen, the pandemic was not a friend to him. Let's face it, vaccines and all, and not being able to play like three or four Grand Slams that he should have played and probably would have won. But you know what? I think it's given him longevity, even more longevity, because he actually was resting his body for a period of that time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's randomly has helped him. Um, I'm sure he'd probably like to have played. But I do think that uh, that's a really good point you're making. And I think that's why good coaching is so important. When we think of coaches, we think of what they do on court, the technical aspects they bring into a player's game, the tactical aspects. But I think what is forgotten, how important the fitness aspect is of it and how you schedule a season. Where do you play? Where do you peak? When do you wind down? All these things are just as important. That's why coaches with a lot of experience help not only on the court, but also off the court. And, and I even think agents, agents can yeah. put their two cents in as well and maybe make their players not play an event because they're getting paid $50,000 and they're taking a cut of that. Yeah. But um, I mean, look at Serena. Serena didn't play after the US Open mm. for like, what, like seven years or something? Mm. A la- la- later part of her career, she didn't even play the WTA finals. She was like, eh, I'm done. After mm. the US Open, she used to literally hang her rackets up for the year. Which a lot of people like, oh, you weren't supporting the tour. I'm like, bitch, she was supporting the tour for like almost 20 years. Like, give me a break. If she wants to take two months off of competition, she can come back and win the Australian Open. Good for her. Mm. You know, and a lot of players are still obviously continue to play after the US Open because they wanted to make the championship, you know, WTA Mm. finals and they wanted the money and Mm. helps their ranking. And Serena's like, my priority is to win Grand Slams. So for me to go into the Australian Open being rested and then winning Wimbledon and everything else is was my priority and that's what Novak's doing right mm. now I mean, he didn't play anything after the US Open he went and played what Shanghai or Beijing or yeah, Shanghai yeah. that's it mm. um, and then 
Uh, oh no, he didn't play anything. Uh, so he he didn't played play Paris. Anything. He played Paris, and, and then, then the, the ATP finals, ATP finals and oh, Davis Cup. Brilliant! That's what I would yeah. have done. and that's why that's why he won. I think because many times you see it at the ATP finals and the WTA finals that the player who was the player of the season actually doesn't win the ATP or WTA finals because yes. they are so tired. Because the player is the player of the season that, has played the most matches. Right? That is your theory, and that's I, my theory. It, it yeah. is true in some ways, except the women's because. Uh, well, actually, in both, because you know Novak did win uh, the U.S. Open, and then he didn't win. Uh, but uh, he last year he didn't. He played more. Yes. And so he didn't win the. He didn't end up winning the ATP Finals. And this year he took the big break, yes. and then he won the ATP Finals. You are correct. Yes, but let's get into it. Let's talk about Novak Djokovic because he was part of what I consider to be the last competition of the year. But you corrected me with the extra uh, tournament going on. Exactly, Davis Cup. We saw maybe the budding rivalry of 2024, Yannick Sinner against Novak Djokovic. How did you watch the Davis Cup finals? What were your thoughts on it? What were your feelings? Did you watch anything? I watched every single day almost. Uh, I wake up in the morning and it was great to have tennis still on, to be quite frank. Um, and obviously these great players playing against each other. And you and I both know playing for your country is like was the most meaningful thing for, I would say, both of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, I loved my Fed Cup, Billie Jean King Cup weeks. Um, they were just so fun. And, you know, I remember uh, Darren Cahill telling me, oh, no, he's going to play Davis Cup. I was like, damn, holy cow, good for him. And then also Novak, like, good for him to go mm. and play. Both of them to go and play is incredible to me. Yes. Because that extra week or so is, as you know, yes. so important. Absolutely. I think this season. we have to stress as much as we can. Yannick Sinna and Novak Djokovic being there for their country this late in the year after having played so much and I'm sure both of them want to make a splash at winning the Australian Open is absolutely incredible and it just comes to show you how important it is for these players and that they are really sacrificing a piece of their um, recovery pro recovery time in order to be there for their country and you could see it in both their faces how much they wanted to win both Novak who has won literally everything there is to win and Yannick both of them just were so determined in this third set to hang in oh, there it was such a good match it was really good I mean it's amazing to me that Yannick Sinner uh, you know beat Novak in twice in the space of two weeks that's phenomenal to be able to do first because you know Novak's the greatest player of all time but to beat him that way in such an incredibly important um match to win Davis Cup neither of them had won Davis Cup mm -hmm. um they both obviously meant the world to them because they went and played well um, Novak Serbia won Davis Cup oh, yeah oh yeah that's right did. he did oh so France he's already and... done it so yeah. um so for him to and another reason yeah for Novak to not play because he'd already done it so um, I just give them, so, as you said, so much credit to the both of them to go and do that mm. and play like days after being in an ATP final. So I thought the Davis Cup was incredible. Um, wow, like the depth of Italian men's tennis, so mm -hmm. far out. Like how good is that? But also it's kind of a little bit embarrassing when you think about the US. They've got five players, I think, inside the top 25 mm -hmm. in the world, and they weren't even – they weren't even there. Yeah, strange. Like, but let, let's stay with that match just for a while. What did you think of the uh, three match points, oh. Novak, third set, 5-4, Yannick Sinner serving down la 40? Uh, what, did you, what did you think of that? How did you watch it? Like, What were your thoughts? Well, I thought the first one was his chance to mm. win. Um, 
the weird slice, yeah, right? Yeah, was, that, that was definitely the first point. He should have won that point if he was going to win it. And then the third one, even 40-30, like I thought he should have passed down the line with mm-hmm. the backhand. I'm sure and he's he probably – he knows how to do that so well. Oh, I'm surprised that he chose to go cross-court, and you and I both know that usually going cross-court is sort of the safer option. And so that surprised me a little bit because he did have the room down the line mm-hmm. uh, to hit the – the backhand down the line, but maybe he thought Yannick was going to cover the line, which most people should cover mm. the line on the backhand. Um, if they have ever talked to you before, yes. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, in particular. But I thought it was very brave as well of Yannick to come in. He made actually a really good volley on that 30-40 point. It was sort of jammed him and he could have missed it. Uh, I mean, look, Novak missed a very, very, very makeable volley on set point in the first set that cost him the set. Mm. Um, so, you know, look, it happened. Uh, just thought it was incredible that he was able to... Com- My thing about Yannick Sinner is that his composure is incredible Mm. like for a young guy I know he probably is you know shitting himself inside like we all do but his (laughs) outward demeanor is so chill and so Mm. relaxed and I am so pumped uh, for these guys to play obviously look this is going to all change in the best of five right Mm -hmm. best of of three is is a different thing comparative to best of five because and I've said this over and over again during the ATP finals for example when he beat him it's like look if you could put him in a final or you play best of five to beat Novak is the most difficult thing to do in tennis Mm. um he proved that again this year by winning three grand slams Mm. no big deal um and losing in an unbelievable final at Wimbledon so I don't know Yannick Sinner I I predicted you know a couple of weeks ago that I think he's ripe and ready to win a grand slam mm. next year yeah um i mean he's I, never made a final but i still think he can do it i really hope so i think it would be a great um great value for gucci who needs a win like that in their house uh, after losing harry styles to loeva probably we don't know but we've seen him in loeva a lot so uh they need the win is what i'm saying You're you know yeah yeah they, you, they need to win i just wanted to get back to one more thing uh in the match and then we can move on to australia your your country, Renee, in the finals against Italy. Um, what is really interesting to me, so in Germany, we football or soccer in the in the US is the biggest sport, and you have that a lot of times that a team is the better team for 80 minutes and then they get the counter in the back and, and they lose fight. 0-1 yeah. right and yeah. you're like but this team was better for 85 minutes and it felt like this a bit in that third set with Novak oh. he had so many chances That's he was a- the better player you felt like Every moment he's going to break, this is it, this is it. And I think that's why he didn't take that much risk because he f- on those match points because he felt like, I'm just a bit better. I don't need to go solid, for that much. Yes. And and that all credit to Yannick for stepping up. He really played incredible in all the important points. Served a few big serves. And we know that Darren, I mean, you know it better. You're good friends with Darren that he... Um, he's worked on it. They were experimenting with that serve, with the foot position and trying things which i respect so much because renee you know how hard it is in the middle of a season to take a stroke and just change it completely and teeter around with it as As, exactly and just teeter with it try it out and it shows how uh, Yannick wants to become better how much he wants to win a big tournament and he knows that if he wants to beat the likes of Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz he needs to have that serve and uh, so I have tremendous respect of that but for that but I just I just love the um, just the atmosphere was crazy all the teams like also I loved in the Serbian team 
all the ex-players were there. Yeah. You know, you saw Bozoljats, Tipsarevic, Troitsky on the bench. And the same in the men's. Matteo Berrettini is injured. Yeah. He doesn't have to be yeah, there. Yeah, he was there. And all the teams were there standing. I get goosebumps when I think of it. It was one of my favorite competitions uh, to play, the Billie Jean King Cup. And I'm just so glad because it does elevate the Davis Cup when two of the best players in Absolutely. the world are playing it. Unfortunately, that is the case. And so I was just so glad to see that. And now I'm going to move on to the finals. Actually, Renee, as an Australian, did you fully root for the Aussies? Or did your <laughs> little weak heart also have a single tear for Yannick Sinner and the Italian team? I uh, love Yannick. You know how I feel about him. I just think he's the great. He's such a good kid. He's so nice to everybody. He's just such a pleasure to be around on all occasions. As you said, he's tinkered around with the forehand, with the serve and getting better and better at everything. Um, but of course I'm pulling for Australia to win the Davis Cup we haven't won it for a while and they were in the final again last year where they probably felt like they could win last year against Canada this year I know that uh, Alex Popperin will be regretting that match against Analdi you're a big fan of Analdi and as am I uh, as a young player um, and what a terrific effort from him but you could see at the end uh, Alex Popperin really he, he he didn't play a good couple of last games and he in my opinion match point personified the whole match where he had a forehand and he just didn't go, go for, for it, it yeah he kind of just think he tensed up or you think he just hesitated no question yeah that he got tight um you know he's a pretty relaxed guy but he did talk about how you know playing his first match there it was mm. the most nervous he's ever felt oh um, really interesting yeah. and you and i both know it's very very different feeling playing davis cup mm -hmm. and billy jean king cup it's like you're shitting yourself out there because you're playing for more than yourself for the first time you know uh you're playing for your country you're playing for your teammates and he that you could tell on that forehand approach shot, he just didn't hit it and he mm. guided it and Analogy is what whacked with the backhand down the line. And that was the match. I mean, because you think about Yannick Sinner, for example, when he was down those match points, he still went for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? He came in. I was like super proud to see him like come into the net and be aggressive. And Novak didn't mm. hit the passing shot down mm. the line. He went cross court. Um, and so, yeah, so I was super proud of Alex because he played such a good couple of matches but um it was a bummer because that, that was the win because then if it goes down to the doubles i think our boys pull it out actually because mm. i think they you have know, the with, better doubles well they have a good doubles team mm. you know and not to say that yannick sinner um and whoever he was going to play with what did you think of the especially the serbia versus oh, the italy italians doubles? were so much better but just because all of the players on the court were singles players playing doubles so yeah. what did you think as a doubles specialist and expert like what how did you watch that one uh, I thought that it was uh, a, the difference in that match was the fact that the Italians were a lot more doubles oriented in mm -hmm. the match. They were poaching a lot. They were serving and volleying. They were uh, from time to time, they were playing eye formation. They were really mixing it up. And in general, what they did much better than the Serbs is they were looking to poach. Mm -hmm. So they were actually trying to play doubles. They were trying to cut off the angles, work together. And that's why they won. Mm -hmm. And anyone out there that wants to teach someone how to play good doubles You know, it's the one thing that I sort of critique these days, particularly women's doubles, is that it's kind of like just four singles players out there just rallying, 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 mm -hmm. and then they lob, and it's just like, oh, my God. The way to win doubles still is to be the more present at the net, mm -hmm. and it's to be the more aggressive at the net because it's angles. Mm -hmm. It's, you know. Especially I, with the uh, deciding point and the yeah. champions tiebreak, I feel like the uh, doubles teams that have patterns for those occasions that have a deciding point or Absolutely. a 10-point tiebreak, it always feels to me that they have the edge on the on the other teams mostly. 
Exactly. And if you are able to poach and volley and volley well, um, you're going to win most of those matches. It's just mm-hmm. a fact because, you know, if you've got two players at the net and two on the baseline, the net players, are all, if they're good volleyers, mm-hmm. which is rare um, in women's tennis, they're going to win that rally. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to do? You can't hit through me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to read where you're going with the ball. Well, you can hit through me, but well, <laughs> that's you. why I'm po- possi- pro- probably the one at the baseline, not the one at the net. <laughs> yeah, but if you learn to volley simply, just do simple volleys, um, you'll win a lot more. And then what are they going to do, lob you? As long as you can read the lob, you- you're done. Like mm-hmm. so, so everyone out there still wanting to do well in doubles, get to the net. And that's what the Italians did better. They were a more aggressive team. And I actually did talk to Darren about that. He said, yeah, we, we worked on it. We mm-hmm. worked on his volleys and when to poach, how to move in doubles, just in case, you mm-hmm. know, and it worked. Nice. And you could see that. So I thought, hey, listen, well done to the Italians. That's great. Well done. It's about Congratulations. time you started catching up to the women. They won like 10 in yeah. like 12 years. Well, and uh, Renee, Yannick Sinner, player of the Davis Cup or Absolutely. MVP? Oh, for MVP for him. Uh, and for the women, as I gave it to the week before, to Layla Fernandez, yes. who was clutch in singles and doubles. Let's move into the WTA. We want to do a year wrap-up of the top 10, so we are yeah. going to go through the top 10 players, yeah. first on the WTA tour, and then on the ATP tour, and we will talk not very long, hopefully, but we've already are so long, I thought this will take much shorter, but we just like to talk, that's embarrassing for us. Okay, it is a podcast. So in the podcast, Deal people, with people talk. People. Yeah, Deal with people it. talk. Um, so let's get into it. Um, WTA year-end ranking. I have it in front of me. Number one player. Iga Shiontek. Iga Shiontek. Six titles this year. One Grand Slam. Won the WTA finals. What did you make of her season? You know, uh, at the start of the year, I know that she was very aware of her winning streak from the year before. Mm. I know that she was putting a, tr- a ton of pressure on herself. Mm to have that same year and was a little bit sort of overwhelmed by it in mm-hmm. some respects, I think. And you could see that on her face at the Australian Open, like losing, uh, what, in the semifinals? You caught us in? No, no I think fourth round. Yeah. She didn't have great results in the slam. I mean, great results. I would have signed her results in the other yeah. slams right away, yeah. right? Let's be clear. <laughs> But for a number one player who won Roland Garros and won six titles this year, she lost in the fourth round of the Australian Open, lost in the fourth round of the US Open, yeah. and made the quarters in Wimbledon. So she... You yeah, know, for her standards as the yeah, number one player standards. in the world exactly. and as the best player in the world, particularly with what she did the year before, it was not as a great season at the slams. Mm. But she won the U- uh, won the French Open again. She won the WTA finals, and she finished the year quite well. She I think did, yeah. after having sort of a bit of a tough year, really, mm. especially after Wimbledon through U.S. Open swing was not good. Mm. Um, And then, you know, she lost in Tokyo early, caught super fast. And you're like, oh, shit, you know, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And she looked vulnerable. Mm-hmm. She looked scared. She, did, she looked yeah. vulnerable. She looked like some, anyone who could hit the ball hard could sort of put her under some pressure. And then she turned it around. She won in uh, China, uh, in Beijing, and then won the WTA finals in Cancun and looked unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Didn't look great in the first match. Won it, down like 5-2 in the mm-hmm. first set, and then just swept everybody yeah. after that. So I think she is by far the favorite now going into the Australian Open. But I think what she did this year was a learning experience about how to handle the pressure of what you did the year before. Mm. And as we know... Because she was the dominating oh, player last by year. Far. Yeah. So a you know, 37-match win streak. No one's mm. done that since the year 2000 when mm. Venus did it. I mean, mm. that's think about that. Mm. Think about all the great players from 2000 to 2023. Yeah. That had not done that. Mm. So I think she put a lot of pressure on herself and I think she learned a really big lesson about 
don't worry about what you did the year before. Yeah. Just go on the court and play tennis. Mm. Because when you play at your best, you're the best player in the world by mm. far. So I think she probably this year was uh, as hard as it was with the ups and the downs. I think she probably learned more about herself this year than mm. she did last year. Mm-hmm. I think right. she realized what she could do, like what her capacity was mm. last year. I think what she learned this year was, oh, shit. Okay. All right. I don't have to do that. If I don't win everything, I'm not going to like go into oblivion. I'm mm. not going to die. Everything's going to be okay. Mm. And then look what she did at the end of the year. So I think she learned a lot about herself this year. And I think she's going to be, I think she's going to be even better next year. So um, the one thing I will say, which is interesting to me to look at, the Grand Slam, except for Roland Garros, fast. do play quicker than the rest of the tour. Australian Open plays quite quick. US Open plays quite quick. Wimbledon is on grass, so it's flat. So these are the courts and these are the players that tend to hurt Iga. And we move on to the number two player Isn't in the world. Isn't it funny before you go on? Isn't yeah. it funny that she won the US Open the year before? And I thought the courts were faster last well, year. And that's, that's why I wanted to move on to Arena <laughs> so she Sabalenka. she she can win on a hard No, court. she can win. She can win. But that's why I wanted to move on to Arena Sabalenka. The reason being, I do think that Arena Sabalenka, and in the beginning of the year, and we will talk about her too, and in the beginning of the year, um, partly Rebakina too, they did close the gap a little bit yeah. whereas in the first in 2022 Iga was that much better that the surfaces didn't matter as much right but Sabalenka did close the gap she took over the number one ranking at the US Open she won three titles this year what did you make of her season yeah I mean listen great like I was courtside for that Australian Open final still one of the best matches I've seen that was insane in, in ever I insane. mean just the ability of both of them hit the shit out of the ball like they do and hit it in as much as they did mm-hmm. it was incredible like I, when i first saw that when i knew they were going to play in the finals i was like oh this is going to be terrible yeah final. i like, thought so too honestly, i also thought it was going I, to be I wanted, but it was incredible i wanted i think it was whoever was in the sem- there was I, I always like to have big hitters against a counter puncher because it just makes for such a better match and i was like oh this is going to be terrible it's going to be no rallies it's going to be so bad and it was amazing just because they were both playing so well so uh, for me the quality of that match is probably the best match I saw all year on par um yeah and I just thought you know her ability to be able to control the nerves on the serve get that back in organized she played great you know she had a great year uh, Mm -hmm. when you think about it and some people consider her player of the year me? Um, you think she's <laughs> I said year. that to you. I mean, I, you could also give an equal player of the year to her and Ega yeah. in some respects. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I honestly, I think the one thing that the WTA was lacking in the past few years was that rivalry, yeah, right? The yeah. defining rivalry. And by the rivalry, I don't necessarily mean between two players. Like if we look at the men's tour, we had Rafa Roger Novak. That's not a rivalry between two players. It's like kind of a few players where you know... And you throw a little will, Andy Murray in there. Yes, well, you, but you, you will know they will end up playing each other in the semis. semis. And, finals. and you're excited about who's going to take it. And yeah. I think that was lacking. So I was so excited to see it in the beginning of the year, Sabalenka and Rybakina closing that gap and Sabalenka just breathing down Iga's neck because I agree with you. I think this year was very important for Iga and I think we will see her next year having taken another step in her, in the level of her play because of that. And I think if she had, if she had, domin- if she had just continued you to dominate i think there is a danger to stagnate when you don't have somebody pushing you from the back and i said the reason for me why arena sabalenka is the player of the year or has a small edge over Iga Shvantec, she yes 
she could have won all four slams she was up coulda coulda woulda shoulda i know but she she won the australian open had 5-2 in the third set against Mukova. Don't, don't you think that that's the match that just killed her? It, it did. Until then, she was the leading... She couldn't close a match after that. Yes. Well, and, and she was, match. until then, she was in number one in leading wins on the WTA yeah. Tour. She had won by far the most matches until then, and it did kind of break her. Yeah. But then again, semifinals Wimbledon, she should have won that match against Ons too. She was up a set and had break points, multiple break points to go up a set and a break. The momentum was completely on her side. Lost that match. And and the same thing happened in the final at the U.S. Open where she was up yeah. a set and the momentum was completely on her side to beat Coco. I think the audience had something to do with it. Oh. We will talk about Coco. But in a different universe, Sabalenka has won the Grand Slam. There was a probable chance for her to do that. So that's why just the Grand Slam performances for me this year from her were absolutely stunning. And I think if she can just stay a bit calmer in those moments in those big moments she did it she did do it she won the australian open it's not like she can that's what's weird to me is that that is the australian weird. open yeah because we all do this we all learn what our breaking point is right and when it's positive and when it's a negative for us and she saw what a positive was is that she kept her mind her body her crazy all this shit together at the Australian Open final. If there was ever a time to lose it sometimes, it was there. Mm. I mean, even the first game where she double-folded like twice in the first game and she started laughing. I was like, all right, she's a well-adjusted human being. Um, but she played <laughs> unbelievable. After that moment, she, she kept her shit together and finished that match off. You think she would have learned from that moment, but she didn't because every big match in the, final, in the semis or a final of a slam, she lost her mind. And so I was shocked by that. So if there's one thing that she can learn is that remember what you did at the Australian Open, you kept everything together, you went throwing. I mean, remember at the US Open when she threw a racket up to her, yeah, box. her player box and it didn't make it? I was, yeah. And I'm courtside for that match in the semis. And I'm like, what? And what, I was, what is going on? I was she should have lost that match. To no, I was, after, yes, I was 100% sure she's going to win the US Open because normally when you win a match like that where you're already out and you've lost your shit, and you manage to turn it around on your inside and you win that, you're free, right? You're just feel free. You turned around the lost match. And I thought she's going to kill whoever is waiting in the finals. She didn't. Coco won in the end. Yeah. And uh, let's move on to Coco because I think we can talk about each and every player for, 20 uh, for 25 minutes, but we do have a time restraint, I guess. So let's do. Let's talk about Coco Goff. And um, I think what I want to talk with you about her she has four titles this year um had an up and down season but then i think the breaking point was wimbledon, wimbledon. yeah can you talk sure. a little bit about that process of transformation for coco goff she lost in the first I, round i like that wimbledon. you've turned into the interview i like this I, I like <laughs> but this. i like i'm interested in your thoughts i'm not like trying to play the interviewer here i'm actually interested because we haven't <laughs> talked about this in that detail we talk about everything all the time but not in this much detail and uh, I, I just wonder is was that maybe the most important loss of her career in a way it, well it's sort of similar to Serena losing first round of the French Open yeah to um, oh, French player what was her name the glasses Virginie Razano uh, <laughs> I think that match uh, turned around Serena's career and I think that this match turned around Coco's because she was out of there she lost 
kind of early-ish in the doubles as well. So she left early, went back to Florida and started training on hard court mm. and, you know, got Brad Gilbert to help her out uh, once Wimbledon was over and his ESPN duties were done. And I think that what it did to her is that he made her understand, I think, that it's, yes, your forehand is definitely dodgy, uh, definitely needs to change in some respects, or we deal with it and mm. we use all of what you've got going for you, which is your legs, quickest player on tour, mm. you know, arguably, yeah. uh, other than maybe eager. Um, yeah. Unbelievable backhand mm. serve when it's going in is huge. Mm. Very difficult to break her. Good at the net. So good at the net. So everything she has going for mm. her except the forehand. So, okay, let's not miss the forehand and let's improve everything else. Do you know what I mean? And that's what happened. Mm. I mean, her play at – I remember watching her at Washington because I was there courtside uh, as an MC doing some stuff, and I remember thinking <gasps> – she's not making any errors on the forehand. Mm. Where do they go? There's nowhere to go. There's literally no weakness on the court. Mm -hmm. It's the same as Ega. There's no weakness. Mm. It, unless you're pounding it to the forehand mm. and she's a bit late, there's no weakness, mm. speed, serve, mm -hmm. everything's good. So I just notice a transformation in her confidence of not missing the forehand. And that's where the confidence comes from. So I think her not missing her forehand, then we saw what happened. She lost to Pagula. Jess just loves playing against Coco. I mean, is she, I don't think she's lost to her. Um, and, you know, and then she goes and wins Cincinnati again, beats Iga for the first time. Um, and I think Iga learned a lot from that loss because she hasn't lost to, Iga, to Coco since. She's beaten her twice quite comfortably. But I think she was prepared. She was like, oh, she's not going to miss the mm. forehand anymore. And uh, sorry to interrupt you here. I just have to say how important unless you're Novak Djokovic who just is a dominating goat of yeah. you know yeah. all time goat of all time greatest of all time of all time. how important it is for you to win a slam that the stars align because if Iga yeah. doesn't play Ostapenko in the fourth round Iga doesn't lose Iga plays Coco and I have to say I don't think Coco beats her again after the yeah. Cincinnati yeah, win yeah I don't think so either I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. And then she's not the US Open champion and she's out in the quarters. We all say great hardcore season. When will she win her first slam? Probably at the French Open. Right. That's yeah, what, yeah. what I would probably that, would yeah. have all the pundits would have said after that. And uh, and that's why you can't stress enough how important draws are and why we look at it. So um, and head to heads. 
Head to heads, exactly. Head to like matchups. It's draft. it's all I take when I go into commentary. Mm-hmm. People are always like, oh, how do you know all this stuff? I said, I don't know anything. I just go into the commentary booth or sideline, and the uh, only one thing I want to know in the matchup: what's a head to head, and on what surface, mm. and that's all I care about. Mm. Everything else is based on what I'm viewing because that's my job as yeah. an analyst is to analyze what's happening on the court. I don't go in with lots of you know notes and things like that. I just go in. My job is to analyze what I'm seeing and I want to know what the head-to-head is on the surface mm-hmm. that they're playing on. Because somebody could beat someone on clay five mm. times and lose them on hard court. You're like, oh. This. Like, I would never pick Iga Shiontek over, you know, a confident Rabakina on a fast court. Yeah. Right? I would never pick uh, Iga Shiontek to lose to Rabakina on a clay court. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's just sort of – now, that's not to say that they can't beat each other on those yeah, surfaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, if but you just have to the pick, probability. Yeah. Yes. So if someone says, okay, who's your favorite? Then I'll say, yeah. oh, on, based on this court surface, mm-hmm. I will say that. Yeah, let's just – one more sentence to Perry Reba because I think Red Gilbert yeah. had his – uh, had his moment. I think ESPN was milking how great of a coach he is and all those interactions. <laughs> it was great. Coach. He's a great coach. I'm not saying he's not. He's a great coach. Obviously, he has a the very results. Good tennis mind. He has a very good tennis mind. Ob- also, obviously, and he brought a new energy. But I know Perry Reba. I saw what he did with Quinn Wen Zhang. I know that his way of working on the forehand worked for Kin Wen, and I know it has worked on Coco Goffs as well. And I think a lot of credit goes to him. Yep. And he was forgotten in my, for my taste, he was forgotten many times because he's done the training. Yep. He's done the training he after did. Coco lost in Wimbledon. She was on the court with Per Reba. Brett Gilbert came on the first day of Washington, D.C. Yep. Yep. And as I said, I'm not taking anything away from Brett, but I am saying Perry also had his uh his way his and he also had his footprint on it and i think especially on the forehand because i know the spanish exercises they do with the fast hand the accelerating of the wrist the turning of the body the using your legs i know what they do and i think it really helped her in making it savor and have more spin on it so i, I just wanted to have a few sentences for Pereriba reba and his work that he done as yeah, well. He should go back to Kin Wen. She needs a coach. Maybe, yeah. Okay, let's move on. Elena Rybakina, Renee. A weird season. She started incredibly. The first half of the season was insane. Finals of the Australian Open. One Indian Wells. And I wrote down, maybe the toughest Indian Wells draw anyone has ever yeah. had. Can you pull it up? Because we looked at it earlier. And we were like, this is, these are the players she beat. Yeah, I think Kennan in the first round, former Grand Slam champion. Yeah. Uh, what what a great start to the year she had and and frankly starting to look like could be number one in the world starting i'm trying to pull up the, the, yeah. the while the, talking the, smart. Yeah. um you know starting to play some unbelievable tennis in the biggest of moments and her game is so big serve is so big backhand is so good forehand is very predictable mm. i think that a lot of people started to pick on that and realize that it you know, has a tendency to go across court 95% of the time. So people started to read that. But on a slower hard court, like Indian Wells, for example, wow, like what an incredible um, tournament she had there. Oh, why can't I pull it up? It's so weird. Well, uh, she won two titles this uh, this year, and then it started to oh, go awry a little bit. She, she lost in the finals of Miami, which was also a great tournament for her. Um, and then in Indian Wells, she beat Sofia Cannon first round, Paula Badosa, Gracheva, Mukova 
Sviantek Sabalenka. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> That's an <laughs> she insane She beat the number, uh, uh, you know, number one and two player in the world semis and finals to win the tournament. And, you know, just started and off the three Grand and, Slam yeah. And three Grand Slam champions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, a... so a great year. But, you know, her year was marred by sickness, yes. by injuries, by all kinds of things. So I think for her, if she gets herself healthy and not sick, um, she will be certainly a player to watch. She is one of my favorites at the Australian Open, again, mm, for making the yes. finals. And anyone that goes that back to That court just suits her, right? Suits her, yeah. and the ball suits her. Yeah. So, look, yeah, I mean, hopefully her coach is not yelling at her too much uh, <laughs> down in Australia. And she's, well, we know your thoughts on that. <laughs> but uh, what do you think, what is the... Uh, not what is the reason we obviously can't look into her body, but do you think it's just because sometimes you see that with players who, because Rebecca hasn't played full that many full She's seasons got that yet. shoulder tape on all the time yeah. too, and that worries me. Maybe, and a lot of it has to do with sometimes with the service motion. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm not in her camp. Mm. Uh, I know her fitness trainer, Zula, he was with Karolina Pliskova when I was with her, and he's fantastic. Yeah. Great guy. Mm. Great. Um, She has improved her footwork oh tremendously. Yeah, I he, think that's what's he part of why she played Carolina. so well this yeah i think that he's one of the best trainers he was with burdick for a long time so mm. he's used to really tall yeah 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 exactly like stiff the long movers. legs yeah. yeah so so yeah. he does a great he used to be in track and field he was a mm. really good track and field runner himself so he's you know gotten these players to move better so yeah she know. looked more agile because she looked like she wasn't slow no because she when she gets running she can run yeah. she's she's not slow but yes because she's so tall and has these long legs sometimes it looks a little stiff as you said and she looks more agile she definitely in the beginning of the year she looked very smooth actually how she was moving so great job to him i love when we shout out the little Fitness indie track. well just the indie parts of a team that yeah. because everyone likes to focus on the big star in the team the star coach or the star agent or whatever no so i like when we star, okay. when we pick out those little ones uh renee jess pagula the quarterfinal queen, queen. <laughs> yes the quarterfinal queen what do you make of her year she ha also had two titles just as rubakina one big title montreal awesome. 1000 title uh once six one six oh in the in that final against um samsonova so yeah. killed her like listen jess great year super consistent she will get to a semi We know that the Wimbledon match would have been absolutely heartbreaking. And I think she possibly could have won the tournament. That's what I wanted to ask you, Renee. So she was um, in the quarters. 4-1 uh, against Vondrashova, who ended up winning. 4-1 up with break points or game yes. points to go up 5-1. Yes. What does it do to you mentally? Like, did you fear for her that it could have broken her i mean she won montreal afterwards so clearly it hasn't yeah. but at that moment right yeah. we are in that moment we don't yeah. know what's going to happen were you worried like oh my god this could break her because no, i was in a sense no because i think that she knows that she can do it mm -hmm. she just has to do it right and it's just oh duh, push, duh. <laughs> uh, you're so smart renee uh see no, ball hit ball no see ball hit ball. no i think that you know when you get into that position you just say all right next time don't fuck it up mm. you know what i mean like next time you get in that position put the pedal down so you think it's a uh, helping lesson rather yeah. than a, oh my god this is Jess never is going to happen to me a, a well-adjusted human being mm -hmm. that i think that she takes those things and don't don't I, trust me just like on bird like that would have hurt mm -hmm. there's no qu question yeah. about it and it would have damaged her yeah but to come back and win montreal mm -hmm. and do it the way she did being eager in the semis mm -hmm. you know it's like look she was It was great for her to bounce back that quickly, but I think that now it's more about the mental 
thing of getting over a, a quarterfinal. Now, it's not the same. I know. I did it in doubles, like, where I think I lost, like, six quarterfinals mm-hmm. in a row. And then finally, someone said just, look, um, they said detach from the outcome. Yeah. And I did, you know. And once I got through that quarterfinals, it was like, oh, okay, I'm good now. Yeah. And so I think she'll be good. I think she'll be tough to beat in Australia. She likes playing down there. Um, and so I think she'll break through when she does. Um, we can all shut up about it, you know. And but look, she had a great year and super consistent, and probably the most consistent player this year, other than, you know. Well, talking of breaking through, Renata, six on Jabur. Last I know, we have to talk about that Wimbledon. We yeah, have to talk about brutal. it. I was with you during that final while it was happening. We were watching it together. I know your firsthand thoughts. Can you, you don't have to go into full detail, but can you talk about what you think you watched the warm up? I don't know if you have talked about this on the podcast yeah, I before. Have. Like, Listen, she was a disaster. The warm up, she, she was supposed to go on center, center court and hit because it was right. It was so windy that day. They closed the roof. And so they decided to, because of the possibility of rain, they were just going to play the final with the roof closed. And so Vondrasova, I went and warmed up too, because I was supposed to play in the old farts final that day. And then March, uh, whoever was supposed to play against, uh, default and so I didn't end up playing but I went and warmed up for like 10 minutes I went and hit balls it was so windy mm. it was a joke mm. and then I, who do I see walking over there to hit balls Fondra Sova so I'm like oh she's going over to hit in this wind yeah. like it was like 40 on miles on yeah, yeah she was going over to Rangi to hit and I was like okay and then I saw Anshabur hitting and warming up on center court so I was like well that's smart mm. she's hitting up on the court they mm. allowed her to hit on that court but then she comes out in all black I'm like what the fuck are you doing Everybody in the world knows yeah. you can't play on Wimbledon courts unless you're wearing all white, even in the warm-up. And even as a coach or even as a person on the court picking balls up, you've got to be in all white. She mm. comes out in all black. And I see and this is not the first day. This is the final. She's been what, there she for knows. three weeks. So, so one of the referees comes out and basically tells her you can't warm up. You've got to go and change. So there's no like getting around it. So she goes, runs off the court, comes back. She's in the worst mood. She has all white on. She's warm out. She's missing everything. Her fit, her coach is missing shit. He's like, looks stressed. The, the husband's picking up balls. He looks stressed. I saw them before the match. He, they, he looked like he was going to throw up. I'm like, guys. And this is the one thing. And this is nothing because I love her coach. I love her husband. I love Ons. But this is where you need someone around. Because if that had been me, as a, if I'd been an advisor or a coach, I'd have been like, listen here, <laughs> you're all good. You don't even need to warm up. Yeah. Okay. Just go in the gym and hit some, run on the treadmill for 20 minutes. You've played two fucking weeks of tennis. Mm. You know how to play on grass. You know, you've got five minutes to warm up on the court. Does it really matter? Does that half an hour make or break you to go on a court, right? It does mentally if you go out with a bad attitude. Mm. You can't win. My old coach used to say, you can't win the match grubs in warm up, but you can certainly help yourself lose it. Mm. And you know what? That really that does that resonated to me mm. because she tore herself down in that final mm. she was getting the shits he was missing balls she was getting upset she's had to go and change her clothes and it transferred onto the court and she was miserable miserable mm. on mm. the practice court on the match court and that hurt her mm. and so when i see her play those matches and she subsequently at the u.s open same thing i'm like you're the minister of happiness isn't that your nickname mm. but yet on the court you look like the minister of misery so you, I would say sometimes, to her, yeah. I would say to her a lot of the times lately. Well, I think I I agree don't with you. Don't you think she looks miserable on the court? Well, sometimes, and this is what I think. I think when she plays her best tennis, and when she wins, like in Charleston, she won. She really she came back from the injury. Everyone was worried she came back too early. She did, but she uh, so she had terrible Indian Wells, Miami. She was not fit, and then she kind of pulled it together for in Charleston. And I was there and I watched her. 
and she had so much joy playing. Right? And that's the problem with not the problem that's great, but when that joy has been taken away from her, then it translates into anxiety, into nervousness, into rushing. And then, and that's the problem with players who are so, so, so talented, like Ans Jabeur. I was very one dimensional. So, which is in a, <laughs> but it's in a way it's easier, right? Because I knew what I had to do to win a match. It was, that one thing yeah. and if I couldn't do it I knew I was probably fucked but I knew I had to have good depth I need to move well and I need to hit the ball that's it it's very easy for somebody like Ange Jabeur who can hit a slice who can hit a drop shot who creativity can, and but that can block you right because she and then when she when she's rushing when she's nervous when she's anxious then she starts making wrong decisions and then it hurts you that you have so many options because all those options come back to bite you and it's like what they say about humans their biggest strengths are most most often their also weaknesses. their biggest weaknesses and i feel with ons you see it the like it's so obvious because yeah. the joy for tennis and for life that she has is also the thing that hurts her when it's gone and the creativity that makes it different than all the other players yeah. is the one thing that comes back to bite her in the ass because she all of a sudden hits drop shots from five feet behind the baseline on a just, quick shot but missing just basic missing and i see her a reaction it's just like whatever whatever i'm like what the fuck? I go, you do realize that when you're at your best and you're egging the crowd on and you're like, you know, fist pumping and you're doing your tweeners and all, that's you at your best. So mm. I would have said to her, or that Wimbledon, I said, listen here, we're not going to hit any more balls. If you're going to act like this, we're going to walk off the court. I mean, I said that same thing to Serena before her second round. I walked up because she was hitting balls in the bottom of the net. She was getting the shits at hitting partner wasn't getting the ball in the right place and she was having just a moment she was late to practice because of traffic you know and then those those moments you transfer you go on the court and you get angry because you're just stressed and she was stressed and so I just walked up and I said listen you can't win the match here but you can certainly help yourself lose it and she like was like I'm just you know we had a moment but it helped her because then you could tell that she sort of was like okay and she did she practiced much better after that but that's because Serena's a champion so Serena knew yeah I, I I probably am getting a little bit stressed and I am getting a little bit too hard on myself and everyone around me. And she was much better after that in the warm up. And she played great. That was when she beat Contabate. Yeah. But that's what I would have said to Ons. I would have called her the net and said, listen, none of this is important. None of it. What's important is that you're happy going on the court. You've played enough tennis. Like you don't even need to warm up. Just hit a couple of serves. Like I'll hit you some serves, rip a couple of returns. We're ready yeah. to go. But well, so that that is something that I think that she – needed um, no, and, and we'll see how, how she does next but that's year. what I wanted to ask you because we were talking about breaking through breaking through for Jess Pagula to the semifinals of the grants of the majors will Anjabe break through and win a slam what do you think a major if she becomes the minister of happiness again yeah mm. she can but she needs that and if mm. she doesn't her attitude is not going to get her there speaking of Wimbledon one title the only title of the season 2023 Marketa Vondrashova but it was a beautiful one wasn't it because it was the Wimbledon title listen it's like if I could win one title in my life and I played 20 years on tour and they go you only won one title and I said yep you know which one w Wimbledon <laughs> I'd be pretty happy I mean I have to say incredible performance it was not lucky she beat incredible players she played so well and I have to say yes Ons didn't play her best but she 
Maqueta made it so hard on her. She just didn't allow her. Because, you know, you can show up to a match and play a bad set and start, you know, your footwork is not working, but you can always find yourself way, your way back. And But but Maqueta just didn't allow it. It was like every time you opened the door to come in, she just came there and shut the door. She just shut the door. She just shut the door, right? It was a great performance. I mean, we have to give it to her. I mean, listen, when you look at... um, when you look at the players that she beat, you know, as well, uh, I mean, she beat Halep in the semis and, you know, arguably you could say, no, that was last year. I'm kidding. That was, <laughs> that was Anshuba. But listen, I think that was, uh, sorry, not Anshuba. That was. She beat Svitolina. She beat Svitolina. And she, you know, look, I think the bottom line is Vondrasova knows that she probably got away with something with, um, beating Jess Pagula. Mm. Um, and I think she took advantage of that. And she That's said, what I meant when we were Holly. talking about Sabalenka when yeah. she turned that match against Madison yeah. Keys around. I was Different like... Different though. Because Sabalenka had the pressure on her and she didn't have the crowd. Right, right. Whereas Vondrasova mm. went in going, eh, I'm yeah. playing against Ons. It'll be fun. Whatever. She's yeah. not going to overpower me. It was creativity against creativity. Mm. Drop shots against drop shots. Mm. Great movers against great movers. What shot are they going to hit? So it was kind of a lot of fun to watch that match. The biggest difference, though, Renee, is the emotional control that Marquetta is able to exude. Both matches, semifinals and the final, she was just cool, calm and collected. She beat Svitolina who had to really exert herself emotionally to get to that semifinals, played some incredible matches, Svitolina did at those Wimble- at that Wimbledon and um, beat Chiantek there, right? I yep. think. Yep. And um, and so Vondrashova really won Wimbledon, not only with her skill of tennis, obviously you have to have a skill of tennis to win Wimbledon, to win on grass, but with that emotional stability, just, just cool, calm and collected. Fucking respect, man. I really was impressed by her. Well, let's let's get to Mukova, who was right behind her. And just... just I want to tag them in together because a year earlier they were in some challenger in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, where crazy. It? Italy or somewhere. And they're like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> you know, they're like, look at us. We're playing some 50,000 in the middle of nowhere. And then both of them are in the top 10 now after an amazing year. So yes, were- respectively, seven and eight. Vandrushova, seven. Mukhova, eight. And Mukhova, now this is interesting, Renee. Would you take a season like her? Zero titles, but... Final Roland Garros, yeah. final Cincinnati, semi-finals US Open. Yeah, I'd take her a year. Right? I'd take Me her Me too. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, I wouldn't take her over on Sober just because she won Wimbledon. But, <laughs> but I certainly, listen, unfortunately injured again, mm. wrist uh, at the end of the year, which is a nightmare injury mm. for a tennis player. Uh, just the constant injuries are just killing her career. She is, in my opinion, someone that is without question, I told her this, five years ago and you can ask her I said you should be in the top 10 what the fuck you're so good there's not a weakness in your game you come forward you've got a great serve forehand backhand moves well great athlete a great athlete great kid works hard these injuries are killing her and again again another fucking injury well I will give you my theory you know how I love theories I have um, observed the thing with players with athletes with colleagues that I've been next to for the past 20 years when somebody has an injury very early on in their career, it seems to yeah just keep to, yeah keep bothering them not in the same place, but just I think is when you're still growing and she had a big injury and she was eighteen nineteen years old, yeah. and you're still growing, you're still growing into your body, you're so still you're changing. About 
I am. I same with Rafa. Rafa had a injury very early on, and he always had injuries. If you look at somebody like Djokovic, like Raja Anjikaba, for example, she was never injured. Anjikaba. Well, and I think that I had I had a you were there. I had tore my ACL when I was 18 years old at the Australian Open, and I always had problems because of it because your body compensates, right? You're out for nine months very early on. Your body is still growing, and your body compensates. So I do think that if you're unlucky in the beginning of your career or why you're still growing with a big injury it tends to come bite you back in the ass but what a beauty in the game just like technical oh, my perfection. favorite player to watch i call her tbt textbook tennis mukova so mukova let's uh let's move on to a very bizarre one maria sakari number nine maria sakari she has one title she won guadalajara um a 1000 she has however also Three first round losses at Grand Slams. I have and a made theory the... on that too. Sorry? So I have a theory with that too. Well, okay, let's hear it. So I, I, I interviewed her prior to the US Open because okay. we have these great you know, practice week before the US Open and we get to talk to the players on the mm-hmm. practice court, which is great because they they have the mic on, they talk to us, they're a lot more open. You know how it is the week before the Slams, you're a little bit more relaxed. Once the Slam starts, you're like, I don't want to yeah. talk to anybody. <laughs> So I interviewed her and I said something about, you know, you're coming back to a place you made the semis last year. You know, you've got good feelings here. I'm trying to be all positive. You know, what is it about the, you know, the new balls? But And I'm sort of throwing all these mm. questions at her where it's positive. First thing she said to me, she goes, yeah, but, you know, I've lost the last, I've lost two first rounds of Grand Slam. So, oh, and I was like, So it was what? in her mind. I'm like, my first thought there was, what are you fucking, who cares? Mm. You don't talk about that. Mm. I mean, when you're a great player, Sometimes you just make an excuse, like I didn't feel well. Yeah. I didn't play a great match that day, but hey, I'm back. Hey, at even US. if you're an average player like me, I had a lot of excuses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all have excuses, but I would have been like, yeah, I'm coming back to the US Open. I love these courts. I love the atmosphere. Mm. This is the place. I'm playing well. I've just made the finals of Washington. Mm. She you was know, playing I well beat there. Pagula in the set. You know, all the things. I've finally found my form again. No, she's thinking about the f- yeah, first round exits out so of the So it was Science. her head. So, as soon as she said that, I went, oh my God, mm. she's going to lose again. Because you're already planting that seed. So there's mm. a little things, for example, that I don't know if it's me, but I'm very in touch with the emotional side of a player where I would be like, okay, we need to talk. If I was coaching, I'd be like, we need to talk about this. Mm. You, you're thinking about your first round losses. That means you're going into the first round here at the US Open mm. worrying that you're going to lose again. And guess what? She lost first round of the US Open. I was like, I'm not surprised. So the mentality for her is I would have slapped her and said, Fucking don't worry about that. Mm. You made the semis here last year. Do you understand? You just made the finals of Washington. You're playing your best tennis of the year. Mm. We're going to win this tournament. Right. Not worrying about losing the first round. And she looks scared on the court. That's I see that too. Is that the, so you would say, is it the mentality? Is it the tennis? Sure. Does she need to evolve the game? Both. What do you, like, I know she's a player that frustrates you sometimes, oh, like sure. in the best possible way, because I think you really like her. Oh, I love her. And you want to do her, yeah. you want her to do well. Yeah. So, but I, can feel your frustration sometimes with her so is it does the frustration come from the her mentality like that one that you yes. just mentioned or is it her game what it's, is it's, it with it's her? a combination it's a lot of the mentality but for me also i think she needs to work on her slice 
right? Because it is such a weapon. And you know this. Like, you, would you say no, you I had... No, I've never played slices. Would you say you had a textbook slice? No. Would you say when you used it, it was for a reason? A hundred percent. Well, I used it. I, mine was not pretty, but I used it because I, I d- didn't have a similar game to Sakari. But I like to play forehand from the middle. I did not like to play forehand so much when you hit into my forehand. Yeah. So a slice was a great way to get that forehand from the middle or the backhand side yeah. because it's really hard if you play cross court yeah. for a righty to hit it with their backhand down the line. So it's like a good tactical aspect of the game yeah. to get away from that forehand in the forehand side, yeah. right? Which I think Maria also doesn't like so much. Yeah. So I see what you're saying. Is yeah, what I'm saying. I, I want to see her get a slice backhand and play a little bit more like Ash Barty, right? She's never going to be Ash Barty, but because Maria's back, two-handed backhand is so good. So good. And it's much better than Ash's, but Ash's forehand was ridiculous. But Ash would slice the backhand to get forehands mm. and she would toy around with people because it's so hard to attack off a slice. I mean, Angebeur, uh, all the people that have really good slice backhands are doing great, mm. right? And so because most of the women like the ball, uh, like me to to, I would say, waist level to be able to smash it, which is what they all hit the ball so flat. But these girls that can hit with spin and variety do very well. So for me, I would like to see her get better with her slice. She brings her left leg out way too early. There's little technical things that she could do better. And then I think that she can then play so much more freer and be more relaxed because she's playing with creativity rather than with te- intensity. Well, Renee, this is becoming such a nerdy podcast. No, I don't you know what we're going to do? You know what we're going to do? We're going to internally talk women today and we may... I'll have, make a second we'll part, a man. Second, I think that's we'll a good that's us, a good call. We've got too much to talk about. Yes, let's let's do that way because I don't want to rush through the men because I think there are a lot of great narratives yeah. on the ATP side too. As actually, it was a really exciting season overall. Yeah. And let's do. I think that's we'll a really a good show. Yeah, we do a second part with the ATP top ten and uh, also with just like what narrative stood out to you. But I don't want to um, miss on the number ten player who ended up in the top ten in the world, Barbora Krejcikova. She had two titles and Renee we just talked about the craziest in the OL's uh, t- oh God, draw yeah. for Rybakina this year but Barbora won Dubai and that was a crazy she beat number three number two number one player in the world is that correct it was crazy uh what do you always you don't I, I'm, not I'm sorry prepared. I should have given you a sign I'm just gonna talk she had a very strange season so the grand slams this year the major she did not do well but she did sneakily well in the end of the year specifically did yeah. you did you pull it up? Yeah, I did pull it up. In Dubai, she beat Begu first round. Not a bad win. Begu, Kasakina, Kavitova, Sabalenka, Pugula, Shiontek to win the tournament. That's so crazy. she beat the number one, the number three, and the number two player in the world. I should have said number one, number two, number three. <laughs> uh, but I just, we know your mind works well, in mysterious because, ways. Well, she beat one in the final, three in the semis, and two in the quarters. Um, but listen, and Kavitova, who had won a tournament not long after that in, mm. in Dubai, in, in Miami so look incredible tournament victory there she's so up and down when she's on as you know she's yeah. so good well when yeah. she's off she's just off well I think I played her a few times I never beat her I think she's one of the in my opinion she should be up there with Shiontek Rybakina Sabalenka who are just a bit better than everyone else however what I will say she relies so much on clean timing because she really almost hits half volleys because yeah. she takes the ball so early if she tenses up a little bit it tends to wait, go way off, yeah, right? Because yeah. she hits it so clean and so early. Yeah. If you 
miss a bit there or if you're not 100% fit we saw she struggled with injuries so if you're not standing there exactly precise like a Swiss or German clockwork then it goes like she frames a lot of balls I saw it with Angie Kerber at the at Fed Cup it used to be well Billie Jean K Cup already I think they played each other and she had this tremendous season where she won the Roland Garros and it was the first time she had played for her country and she was tight like we all are she was anxious and I've never seen her frame so many balls and that was the first time I was like oh I see why she can be so off because she relies on hitting and taking the ball so early that when she's just a bit tense it just goes way off you know because she doesn't let the balls ever drop she always wants to take them on the rise and it's it's so so hard yeah but that's why she hits so clean when she's on she's a player that I would really like to see in the mix for the slams again because I feel like she can trouble any one i just need her i need her i think she needs herself to just be that you know calm collected self again and just relax the arm because then she's so dangerous yeah well you know what if everyone had i love easy, to watch her play if anyone ha- if everyone has it easy that all be number one you know that's, that's exactly what- true renee we are getting to the end of this podcast as uh, People are sighing in relief because <laughs> it has been say. hours, it has been days, it has been years. But is there anybody else you want to talk about um, or maybe a tournament or a competition that stood out to you in the season that is not in the top 10? Do you have anybody? Well, I mean, I did uh, say that I really think what, what uh, I really got to give a lot of kudos to um, Layla Fernandez. Mm. I think she finished the year really well. She's yeah. had talk about a tough couple of years. Yes. You know, we think about Emma Raducanu being out, what they both did at the US Open. Um, so I, I loved the fact that she was the catalyst for, you know, Canada winning Billie Jean King Cup. Well done. Singles and doubles. Unbelievable. She won a tournament. Like she's just, she came under her own the last couple of months. So I give her a lot of credit. And so I want to just give a shout out to Layla Fernandez. Look out for her next year. I think she's back. Got the confidence back. Serves under control. Kin Wen Chang. We're going to see what she can do next year. The stuff that happened with uh, Wim Fassett, I think is bullshit. You know how I feel about that. Um, So I think she's got a lot to prove next year. And I think she's going to be really good. Yeah. Um, And I do think that she will build because I, um the way she phrased her complaints about him was in my mind maybe it's just me projecting but in my mind there was like a s- slight fuck you yeah you know in between those lines Don't know how to say that and in i Chinese. think uh yeah sorry for these words but i think that will give her a lot of resilience for oh, next for year sure. i think she will find a lot of drive she, in this she's like got an inner, she's got an inner drive and an inner yeah. kind of fuck you about her she's kind of like and she's great for the sport and mm-hmm. uh, i think it's fantastic and i want to give a little shout out to sophia kennan as well got her ranking back up she's just somebody that i really believe in mm-hmm. um you know she had that win against coco first round of wimbledon after qualifying yeah, can you imagine qualifying, being a grand right? slam champion and going out and qualifying but uh yeah so those three players two players coming back from sort of like injuries and lack of confidence both great players in kenan and uh, Layla fernandez and kinwen chang who's that next sort of rising star um I, i look forward to those three nice i love that you pick the young ones and i will show my age and my recent retiree i will pick two Older ones, not old ones, obviously. But I want to take, pick two mamas and maybe take a look ahead at two mamas that are coming back to the Australian Open, Naomi Osaka Angie and Angie Kerber. Yeah. I'm very excited to see them back. I think um, this, this is going to be crazy interesting to see how what kind of form they return Imagine into. Imagine if they played in the first round. 
that would be crazy. <laughs> um, Craig Tiley, can you do something about that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I wanted to shout out Elina Svitolina and Caroline Wozniacki, uh, yeah. both with tremendous comebacks after having multiple babies, really, <laughs> and just uh, getting their bodies back in shape or never letting them out of shape. I think both are just such hard workers and so hard on, the, on themselves and the way they um, the way they were able to bounce back. I think it will raise a bit of pressure on Angie and Naomi just because they bounce back so quickly. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they both came out thinking, oh, we have time to return and now they don't have that much like time because Carol and we know and Alina did it so quickly and I think we all know how competitive tennis players are. And so, yeah, did you have a favorite tournament, a competition on the WTA before we take this um, to, a, yeah, to the, an end? I thought the WTA finals in Cancun was great. Oh my just God. <laughs> Let's not even get into that. We've already done a whole podcast on that. Um, no, I mean, listen, there, there were some things this year of uh, the WTA that were just lacking. You know how I feel. That trophy presentation in Madrid, still mm. to me this day, it just pisses me off. Mm. That we still didn't get a statement from them on that, by the way. Um, uh, just, I thought the Australian Open final was incredible. Mm. Uh, hopefully we get another so great good, Australian yeah. Open like that again. Pretty good Grand Slam finals, I have to great. say, except for that Wimbledon. It was yeah. like all three, the Sabalenka, Rybakina, amazing. Mur the Sviantek, Mukhova, really good. Yeah. And also the Sabalenka, Coco Goff it was Amazing. yeah I mean Sabalenka went off the rails a bit there in the end but it was a great final it was so exciting yeah. and so much tension in that final God. so um, so Crazy. actually really good finals on the Grand Slam side taking out that Wimbledon final maybe yeah we had a great year on the WTA too as far as you know just new new faces again people winning Grand Slams it, we're just can't wait for next year on the WTA. Well, and the, you will do with Caitlin, you yeah. will have a live recording, actually. So if you're in NYC, in New York City, and you want to yeah. see Renee Stubbs and Caitlin Thompson live oh, in their full it. beauty, I'm good at cross-promo. Sadly, <laughs> out of my book. <laughs> sadly, the uh, fashion Easter here. Oh, have you finished your second book, by the way? I have. It's coming out next year. Oh, <laughs> but it's not, it's, uh, you can't pre-order it. So I was just uh, just joking. <laughs> but on the 17th, is it December? Yeah, we're going to, yes, I think that's the date. But we'll, 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 you will uh, announce, we'll it. Let announce it. Well, and they will talk about gonna what t- 2024 will bring. So that's why we didn't do that okay. so much today. Today, we wrapped up the women for 2023, the top 10, and our expectations, and what we were happiest with uh, through the year. Um, I just want to thank you, Andy, for thank coming you. on today, and we're going to talk about the net, the men in the next podcast. Yes. With you, my favorite German. Thank you very much. I, I love being your favorite German. That's my favorite role in life. And um, second part coming up with the ATP wrap-up of the top 10, how the seasons went, and um, who will be the next... I think Prada model. We need a Prada model. We, we have Gucci. Now we need somebody doing Boss, Prada. And we've got Gucci. Yes. So uh, now we need Prada. These That's, Italians with their you fashion want a houses. You discount on your Prada shoes next, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's wearing them today. It took her <laughs> seven hours to figure out if she was going to buy them in Melbourne two years ago. I'm such a cheap. You've worn them every I'm day so of your life. Uh, you are. Anyway, Andy, thanks for joining me today. Everyone, thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.